everyone, and welcome to a special edition of Cosmic Crit. My name is Patrick, and I'm the GM here on the podcast, the Game Master. And I'm joined by my five friends and players. Uh, you might know them uh, from our previous 90-some-odd episodes. Uh, we've got Drew, Tyler, Hello. Rebecca, Miles, and Jabert. Hello. Hello. Greetings. It's everyone. Everyone's here for this. Uh, how are you guys doing? Pretty good. Miles, I feel like you've answered pretty good to that question about 90 times now. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, is this where we get real? Can I tell you about no, my week? No, 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 no. It's just awful, guys. <laughs> Life is a constant. I'm solid. hanging by a thread. <laughs> I don't know what to. I don't know what to say. Pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is a special episode that I've meant to do for a while, along with a couple other ideas and things that um, our community, the Starfinder community, has kind of asked for, like a GM's only special. Uh, but we've just had difficulty scheduling the time. But the time is now. For this episode is basically a how-to Starfinder or, you know, how to get into the Starfinder role-playing game. So, yeah, we wanted to have kind of a special episode that doesn't necessarily give out spoilers for the AP that we're currently doing against the Aeon Throne. Um, that's what this is going to be. <laughs> Just a little discussion with players and GM. But at, uh, at the end of the episode, we have the second part, which is going to be an interview with Paizo developer and author Ron Lundeen. That will have some spoilers for book one of Against the Aeon Throne, but we also talk about Starfinder in general, as well as Pathfinder 2nd Edition, which is right around the corner. So make sure to stick around uh, for the entire episode. My uh, my favorite part was when he uh, ripped off his face and revealed that he was a reptoid the entire time. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> part one of the threefold conspiracy. <laughs> It was Ron Ladeen. It was Ron Ladeen. Uh, that's already a deep cut for our uh, beginner episode. I think I was calling this Starfinder 101, but it, it's just discussion. You know, if you guys, and I know you've done this in your personal lives, have to explain to people that don't play Starfinder, you know, what exactly is it? What is Starfinder? Um, I, I know you have some <laughs> comparisons to like uh, games that are played on stranger things, but it's, it's so far removed from uh, like first edition D and D, which is, which is pretty funny. It, Maybe it is, but like, it's the only cultural like thing that someone who doesn't play TTRPGs can yeah. glom onto. Well, I mean, you've, you've said a term that um, I don't know if I was really familiar with until even like 10 years ago, TTRPGs, tabletop role-playing games is, is what that stands for. Um, I think I just, when I was in high school, I just called them RPGs, you know, just mm -hmm. like a video game. Same. RPG. Yep. But that is a important distinction because there are so many video games. This is typically a game that's played on a tabletop. <laughs> we are using uh, for our podcast what's known as a virtual tabletop. But um, uh, how, how does Starfinder go? What? How, what would you describe as kind of like the play to, to people that don't play it? Well, I mean, I think Miles kind of hit upon uh, something there. I mean, it depends on who you're talking to. If you're talking to some rando off the street, then D&D &D in space is about the best you can do. Agreed. That's not a great description of it. I get that. I totally agree. However, well, yeah. that's, that's what, what you would 
to a random person. What is uh, a TTRPG? Like, what do you guys do on the, the podcast? Um, so whenever I'm at work and I'm trying to explain it to people, basically what I start with is it's collaborative storytelling. Um, yeah. you're, you are sort of working with a, a group of people, one person in particular, to tell a story and um, uh, build characters and uh, uh, explore the world with those characters. And uh, for Starfinder specifically, you're exploring a, a kind of post-apocalyptic world. And so, or that depends on the campaign. I mean, I think Starfinder yeah. actually is is so broad in. I mean, it's it's literally universes upon universes. Like you can literally make it whatever story you want. So certainly, it can be post-apocalyptic. I don't think it has to be. And, I'm and, just and, referring to the fact that Galarian was destroyed. So. <laughs> but, well, yeah, so, from so, Galarian's well, point of view, it's the end of the world. But, so, so right. you, you say that. However, you know, I, uh, and I I'll borrow my new player experience. I have only played Starfinder as uh, an RPG, tabletop RPG, D&D in space, whatever. I have no context for Galarian's importance. So mm. that yeah. particular well, that particular element doesn't really resonate with me. Same. So we should say Galarian is like the Earth in the Pathfinder universe where all of the old um, fantasy stories in Pathfinder take place, uh, which is, you know, kind of like a... J.R.R. Tolkien-esque universe. There's elves, there's orcs, that kind of thing. And in Starfinder, it's the far future, and it's it disappeared in a, in a period of time that nobody remembers, which is hilarious, Drew, because uh, new players to both Pathfinder and Starfinder have the same amount of information that their characters <laughs> about it. Yeah. And it works out fine. You don't need to know. I mean, um, some people, I imagine, in Starfinder's world might not know that it's missing because it's also like 300 years past when, you know, people got their memories back. So like, do you remember, I mean, do you have like a, a, a giant cultural knowledge of something that happened in our own country uh, 300 years ago, which is uh, seven. 19 is that 300 years yes <laughs> i don't think yeah. anything in, i don't think anything important happened that year i don't i don't know what happened i mean it was like i mean it was sometime between columbus and the founding fathers that's about all i know no there are colonies in 1719, right? yeah. however however I no clue However, I, I figure that post Gap, there would still be 300 years of recorded media and and pop culture references. Somebody's space yeah. DVD library would still have all of the movies that were released between <laughs> between the end of the Gap and the start of when the uh, Starfinder story takes place. But uh, yeah, I get, so but I get what you mean. <laughs> the, I mean, yeah, we have we have books from way back then too, but I'm not reading them. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I guess the point is, like, you're not, even if you know about what happened in 1719 or whatever, like, 300 years ago, you don't think about that in your daily <laughs> life. It's not, like, constantly on your mind. I mean, it's far enough in the past. Well, that, unless, you know. you're, unless you're an elf that has lived that long. But, well, but unless I, you're a, a legitimate Starfinder, someone in the Starfinder society whose job it is to, like, <laughs> look at recorded history around that time period. I, I, in, for me, the universe is, like you said, it's very broad depending on what you want to do there's um there was like a whole kickstarter for like a separate section of the universe that was um third party it wasn't published by paizo that's like all horror um and, and you know kind of like cosmic terrors and things like that i'm listening um, 
<laughs> kind of, you know, I, I was uh, um, thinking it was more akin to like, a, what's that video game? Dead Space, um, mm-hmm. that kind of dark world. And then you could have an adventure on a planet that is like almost all um, Dragon Riders of Pern, you know, which is a lot of fantasy and a lot of science fiction kind of mixed together. You could do it a completely post-apocalyptic, you know, cowboy story if you wanted, which uh, uh, um, Paizo writer and developer Owen Casey Stevens is, is generated when we talked to him in a previous interview. Um, so there's a lot of storytelling potential there. Uh, honestly, if I wasn't playing the Adventure Paths published by Paizo, I would, as a GM, be having a field day, like... Um, making up stories. And and that's what I want to say as someone who, again, is new to these types of games. I have been passingly familiar with the ideas of things like Pathfinder, of things like uh, Shadowrun, of, of things like Vampire the Masquerade, and, and these, these other role-playing games. Don't know anything about those systems or, or really the worlds other than the most surface-level stuff. But having played Starfinder for a couple of years now... Th- this is a game system and a game world that has the capacity to take on all of these other game systems. And it's 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 so versatile in a way that I don't know that a lot of other game systems are. Yeah, you know, it's it, from a pedigree of, you know, game systems that included Dungeons & Dragons about uh, 16 years ago. The, a system that Pathfinder was based on, Dungeons & Dragons version 3.5, 3.0, 3.5. And those, you know, harken back to um, taking elements from all kinds of games and taking storytelling elements from all kinds of games. Um, we're about to have a release next year of the Cyberpunk 2077 video game, which is all uh, Cyberpunk stuff, which a lot of that made it into Starfinder. Um, and... Yeah, in general, it is a great amalgam system for for that. Um, so that, that's a little bit about the game itself, the game world. Uh, if if you had to describe to people, you know, if you're inviting your friend from work to come play a game at your house, uh, you know, what would you tell them about like the game or how to play it or what they need to play it? You got dice. Uh, well, you set of dice, yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, a dice or a, a dice rolling app on your phone. <laughs> if in a pinch you forget yours, been there. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, and I was going to say when we were talking about this before beforehand, like one of the things that to me would be really daunting. I mean, of course, I started playing Starfinder with a group of friends. I was invited to play, like, but if I wanted to play but didn't have that, like set group of friends that also wanted to play, I think it would be really scary to try to find a a group and sit mm-hmm. down at the table. So I think what I really want to encourage people that want to play Starfinder to do is just like get over that. Like you don't have to be an expert in the game on all of the rules or even have a character. You can go to an SFS table and play a pre-gen character. I mean, you don't have to know, I mean, maybe know a bit about the rules, but you don't have to be an expert to be able to play. And especially if you're playing I mean, Starfinder Society is really, really welcoming and all of the GMs I've ever played with at conventions and online have been nothing but welcoming and and helpful to novice players. So don't let that stop you. I just wanted to get that out there. In general, Starfinder, I'm sorry, in in general, Starfinder Society, which is kind of the organized play um, element of, of Starfinder where games are like four or five hours. You can find those at your friendly local gaming stores. Like Rebecca said, at uh, 
conventions, you know, comic book conventions, gaming conventions will sometimes have like local chapters um, run games for for beginners. Like that's the main reason that they're there. Um, our own online lodge uh, for the uh, Cosmic Crittermander Starfinder Society Lodge. Uh, I can tell you it's extremely welcoming of new players and new GMs. We love new GMs and, and helping out sharing uh, resources where it's allowed and, and things like that. Um, and uh, we have links to our discord uh, you know, plastered on our site and on our episodes, but um, we, we love getting new players. And if you tell your GM that you've never played before yet, you might have some questions. They're always super receptive. I also want to add, uh, because if you look online, there's a number of online resources for Starfinder that are uh, both official and unofficial. Uh, the first character sheet I looked at for a, a pre-generated character, uh, one of their characters that they generate for you so that you can more easily dive in because all the hard work is done for you. Uh, it's still for someone who is not at all, for me at least, who was not at all familiar with what a character sheet looked like. It's still kind of daunting because there's a lot of numbers all over the place. It's like but, a full page of stats and equipment and everything you need. And, and you don't, but but you don't exactly know what everything means at that point. Uh, but they, uh, Paizo released a Starfinder beginners box, uh, I guess about a month ago now, maybe two. A couple uh, months ago. And looking at the character sheets, it's the same characters and the same stats that they released two years ago when Starfinder came out. But they have made things so much clearer about what stuff means and about what choices you have for these characters, for their pre-generated characters, and for, for a character that you create, that it just made things so much clearer, even for somebody who's been playing the game for yeah. two years. Yeah, the, yeah, I was going to say a, a big, a uh, a really tricky thing, or I think a thing that is intimidating to a lot of potential new players is the books, you know, <laughs> um, you know, they're sort of, I mean, you know, they can, they can seem like they're these like really expensive things and there's a lot of them. And what do you really need? Um, you can pick up the CRB and like, that's, that's enough to get you going right there. The core rule book. Um, it's not like you, it's not like in other systems where like, Oh, there's a, a dungeon master's guide where they'll talk about the rules. And then there's another one that's like a player's guide. And this is how you make characters. You know, it's, it's, you know, it's really one book to get you up off the ground. And there are, and like Drew said, there are a lot of great online resources as well. So if you're just looking to sort of explore it a little bit, Mm -hmm. the open gaming license you can sort of um learn a lot about the game before you sort of in you know invest in and buy in in that way and so well and i think i mean to drew's point before beginner's box is also a good uh investment just to get you going um without having to buy the entire crb and and i mean it's it's just kind of a daunting hardcover very long book yeah, it's it's what 400 some odd pages 500 yeah, well and it's, oh, it's important wow. to note though that you're not yeah. you don't have to read it cover to cover i haven't read it cover to cover i mean i'm not afraid oh to wait what i'm gonna <laughs> Right now, I said like the sections that are relevant to, to me. To all you, to all you listening, you better read that book cover to cover. It's <laughs> packed full of the most delicious content that you would ever be able to read. <laughs> I so want I you, you, you just dive. You dive straight into that settings chapter, <laughs> but, and you just. But, mm, but again, a few of you haven't read it cover to cover. I don't think I've read it cover to cover. I've gone in bits and pieces when it came out, and I have. Uh, I've absolutely read that book cover to cover. That's like the first thing I did. <laughs> yeah, um, the yeah, beginner box, <laughs> the the rules kind of um, boiled down, and an adventure 
for you to play. And it also has a set of dice that you can share with your friends and pawns, which if you use a map and it comes with a map for that adventure, um, it kind of makes it like a board game. Like you're walking around, you know, the clue house <laughs> <laughs> looking for clues um, in, in, a, in a very similar way. You don't have to play with maps and in figures. Some people preferred what is known as theater of the mind. But um, for most tables, if you're showing up, if you don't have dice, at the very least, you should bring a pencil and an open mind. But uh, at most you know, friendly local gaming stores that run Starfinder Society, they'll have stuff for you. Um, if you make contact ahead of time, um, they will they will make accommodations, bend over backwards, as it were, to, to get people playing Starfinder. Oh, another, another thing, not to harp too much on the beginner box, but um, you mentioned that it has an adventure in it. it. It actually has a solo adventure too, which I haven't played, but I think that that would be, especially for someone who... Maybe you're the only person who, like, maybe you're all alone and wanting to play Starfinder and you don't have a friend to play adventures with or whatever. <laughs> the solar solo adventure might give you a sort of taste for how the gameplay works it's uh, without like having a, to do it in front of people. <laughs> like a choose-your-own-adventure kind of thing, yeah. which is kind of interesting. Um, I, I, I like that. I like that addition. Um, so that's how people can jump in immediately, start playing it, even if you don't have friends, if you have friends, yeah, just pick up the book and like pass around and, and talk about what you want to do. There are lots of different ways to play from Starfinder Society, the adventure paths, which are what we're doing here on the podcast, to there, there are just so many ideas in that main book for writing your own adventures, you know, making your own story. And honestly, um, I wish that I had this when I was a teenager, you know, just getting into tabletop role-playing games because it is really, um, there, there's some great plot threads to like go off on just in the CRB um, packed worlds chapter alone. Um, my favorite chapter of that book. Yeah, but. I will agree with the favorite chapter. I love with the world building that they do in that. And, and it'll honestly, a lot of the other books that they've released since then that are, are not required, but are just a bunch of extra flavor. Guys, you have been playing Starfinder for almost two years <laughs> while we're recording this. Um, you're you're more than anyone uh, experts at this game. You've been playing it since its launch. If there's anything that you like, a piece of advice or information you wish you can give uh, yourself two years ago when you're just starting, um, what would it be? I love feeling like an expert on the character that I play. And then talking to somebody on Discord about <laughs> that same class, and they have a completely different take on it that has, does something completely different that just you never put that together. Just it, it, that it's okay to change how you play a character based on outside input. <laughs> you can, you can, uh, you can. There's there's many different things that these these things can do, and that there's there are so many places that you can go and find out. Just other stuff, other things that you might not have thought of, or different interpretations of rules that you maybe read a different way than somebody else did, and, mm -hmm. and that sort of. Thing. Yeah, play play your characters how you want, and don't feel bad about you know if you. I mean, I've done it personally myself. I've seen people have cool character ideas out there, and I'm like, I kind of want to try that. That sounds fun. Yeah, one of the things that um, I've sort of learned a bit more as I've played over the last couple of years has been uh, to, if the, this is maybe if you're more familiar with another uh, TTRPG, mm -hmm. um, you know, 
if you have some preconceived notions about what the you know the classes are going to be like or what you know this character is definitely like what it ought to look like um it's okay to sort of you know you know expand your mind a little bit and sort of think about these these classes in different ways right i mean uh, a mystic doesn't need to be someone who stands in the back and and shoots spells and casts you know healing spells and stuff and mystic can get up there with a high strength and go punching and i think it's a i think it's a really neat thing about this uh about this game that it really is so the classes really are so versatile um that said i can't wait for more classes (laughs) (laughs) well not only that but they've um tempered in my opinion the 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 races all the different aliens that you can be so you wouldn't be chastised if you chose x over y to make a soldier out of right like the way that uh, the way that ability scores sort of add up is all very sort of linear so you could have something that takes a minus two to strength as a race but you still have a maximum strength like you can do that yeah well witch warper is an example of that tieflings have a negative two to charisma and yet i am a charisma spellcaster so right yeah yeah i mean that's i mean i would say even more exciting to do to play kind of against type uh you you can do it in other gaming systems but starfinder is it's almost designed to allow you to do that it's it's it's, that was like a a key goal i think they had and that's another and that's another thing i would say is that you know there's there's a lot of there's a lot of min maxing basically going out and making sure your character based on this race class combo and this gear set and this ability checklist and all that stuff is the most effective warrior in all of Starfinder history. Just it's okay to just do something that you think is interesting and fun and mm-hmm. c- kind of consequences be damned. Like, uh, you know, that, that that's well, okay. And m- maybe more fun for some folks. I've seen some players out there, some fans of our podcast who their character design is all about that. You know, they want to make a roller skating pop icon, YouTube star, um, Solarian that, uh, uh, is, is all about bubble gum and, and, and soda pop, except when it comes to killing demons or something along those lines. (laughs) Uh, it, it really, there's, I mean, I can't think of something that's like not really, uh, kosher in this universe because it is so, broad and so expansive where you can have like a a gritty you know uh, grim dark soldier character next to that pop icon and they can they can still fight together they can kind of still work in the in the same world so um right so uh, some advice for new players uh, if people haven't listened to the podcast before what are we all about what, what are we doing here on cosmic crit we're about making mistakes and living with the consequences. <laughs> that is 100% true. They're recorded and you can't go back and do it over. Yeah. I mean, I think we would all agree that when we started this podcast, it was all about having fun. Like we wanted to make sure that the six of us were having fun at all times. Like that was a pact that we made for ourselves. And I think we've stuck with that. And that continues to be kind of the the core of what we're all about. Um, and along with that, I think one of our strengths is that we, we really celebrate one another's victories. It's not about like what me, my character did or my me as a, as a player did. It's what we as as a team did and um and have accomplished which i think is really getting to the the like the heart of ttrpgs i mean it's all about working together and like jabert said that 
collaborative storytelling, whether the story takes a dark turn or you guys are like completely victorious, everyone's involved at the table. Mm -hmm. I don't see you guys congratulating me very often when I crit your characters. Yeah, you're the exception. uh, Yeah, I was about to say, but (laughs) I I think we, we all understand that if I rolled a one on every single attack, this would not be very fun. <laughs> oh, I disagree. It would be. <laughs> I disagree completely. Less interesting for everyone involved. It would be less interesting, Miles, because most characters don't roll critical fail cards. <laughs> well, it would just be it would be uh, pretty quick battles at the very least. Um, but yeah, our our podcast we are playing through right now the uh, against the Aeon Throne adventure path, which is. A, a story basically that Paizo has written that if you're interested in, in playing the game or um, kind of reading along with us and see what these published adventures are like, you can get the, the PDFs on Paizo's website and kind of see what that is like. If you want to make your own adventure, my advice is always to pick up one of the APs and see how they're kind of structured, you know, going from A to B to C. And um, they give me as a GM a ton of ideas for for homebrewing. Can I um, add something to that, Patrick? Yeah, about the AP. Yeah, because the, the first AP especially, not just the first book, but all of the books, they was really good about taking you to different places and putting you in different circumstances mm-hmm. uh, that to really show the breadth of the kinds of stories that you can tell in this universe. And, and I, I credit Paizo for just having a tremendous first adventure path to, to yeah. do that kind of thing. Dead Sons. Dead Sons, yeah. Yes, sorry, Dead Sons. We played all of it, and it took about 73 episodes, and the episodes were like an hour and a half each. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, 150 some odd hours. Uh, don't feel like you need to match that anytime soon. I've talked to the, the authors and the developers at Paizo, and they say just play as many as you want. You don't have to play all six books. You can just play one or two if you want and go off and do your own thing, which is how a lot of gaming groups work. It's it's how some podcasts work. Uh, Jabert and, and I listened to The Adventure Zone, and they started playing a pre-written adventure and then just spun it off from there into their own world. Yeah, I think they got about a third of the way through the first book and then they skipped to the end of the first book and then they went right off the rails. Oh yeah. They went to like <laughs> back and it was amazing. A moon base in this universe. It was yeah. great. Uh, yeah. Which it's, it sounds like they should have been playing Starfinder, but it did not exist back then. <laughs> um, but yeah, basically play the game how you want to, to play it investigate it how you want to investigate it if you want to just buy a pdf and and check it out um go for it uh i know some libraries might have copies of the the core rule book which is pretty crazy to think about um but also there's a ton of information you can find online including the official paizo's uh kind of reference which is the archive of nethys uh, if you search for that on Google, you'll find a ton of the rules and the, the cool rule book are just printed there. And, and that is kosher. That's totally cool. Can you give us a spelling on Nethys, Patrick? <laughs> N-E-T-H-Y-S, I think. Yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's, there's plenty of people that aggregate the rules. You can you can copy the rules and, and read them. But trust me, you want to buy some of these books because of the amazing artwork, the ideas in them. Um, and they're just fun to have around. I, I love even games. I'm not playing. I love leafing through the books. 
Um, well, and another thing that you can do if you want to see a game actually being played like on Roll20 or, you know, not just listening to it, um, you can check out Twitch. There are plenty of streams that do uh, Starfinder games, one of which is Non-Standard Action, which is a part of the Critterverse. So we're associated with them. Um, yep, and they're our, our friends over on Twitch. And so that might be a good way to see kind of gameplay in action and, and see how, how it works when you move things around on Roll20 and, and play online. And I don't yeah. know, it, it just might be a little bit different from listening to an audio-only podcast of it. And if you do have questions, if you want to dip your toe in, or if you just want to kind of talk about things generally or get involved in a game, you can check out our Discord server. Our, you can find the the links at CosmicCrit.com that... We, we are a Starfinder Society Lodge. We do uh, all the, the, the Starfinder Society games. There are some non-Starfinder Society games, that, but are also still online games also going on. Uh, and just a lot of conversations about, you know, well, just about everything. But, uh, but Starfinder as a whole, whether it's just general stuff or rules debates or whatever you want to get into. Uh, Creating clarifications. Yes. Of stuff. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's a pretty... A pretty awesome community. I love those guys. Uh, you'll find me in there talking about uh, movies and anime and stuff like that most of the time. <laughs> yeah, the Discord is a lot of fun. It's uh, I'm 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 really thankful for all the people who come over there and and talk to us and hang out with us. They're uh, they're all real cool people and uh, talk about the join game them too. Talk about the podcast. Link is in the description of this episode on our website, on our, our Twitter account, if you find us. But uh, they're they're very helpful there. They're helpful on the Paizo forums. Um, there's a, a a Reddit, a subreddit, things like that. Um, lots of resources out there. Basically, the whole point of this episode is we want to get as many new players into this game and not fearing that first step as possible. That's what this little intro to Starfinder has been about. We hope it's been helpful. If you guys had listened to this two years ago, do you think you'd be less, uh, less trepidatious about jumping into recording a podcast about this game? <laughs> uh, probably. Yeah. If, if I hadn't, I mean, we were lucky because we, we, we had done a little homebrew game with you, but if, if I hadn't, um, something like this, that's, that's kind of friendly would have made me feel a little less anxious about starting a game. Yeah. Well, that's, that's what I hope people listening right now are feeling. And it's something, like I said, I've wanted to do for a long time and well, we are here and that's going to do it for this episode. Uh, uh, thank you guys for chatting with me. I know, I know this isn't as fun as playing the game, talking about the game, but I like to do it from time to time anyway. Yeah, no, it's all, it's always nice to like, you know, stop and smell the roses. <laughs> um, uh, that's going to do it for this part of the episode. But like I said, we are not done. We've got an interview with a Paizo developer, uh, one of the creators of the, these awesome games and stories that we play, uh, Ron Lundin in just a little bit. Uh, but that's in the second part of the episode, which is coming up uh, very soon. Uh, until next time, though, um, not everyone's in on this interview. Uh, guys, thanks so much for chatting with me. Thank, Thank you. you, Patrick. Thank you, Patrick. We'll, we'll see you later. See you in the next episode of Cosmic Crit. Talk to you soon. Yeah. Bye. Crit bit commencing in three, two, one. Crit bit initiated. Oh boy, I hope you have stuck with us, everyone, because the episode's not over yet. This is Patrick, your GM speaking, and we've got another crit bit. It seems like it's been a while since we, we've done one of these. 
Um, I'm very excited about this one. Uh, joining me are from the podcast, uh, we have my three favorite players, Drew, Miles, and Tyler. <laughs> <laughs> that hey doesn't guys. sound very uh where is rebecca and jabert that's what i want to know <laughs> rebecca's upstairs watching something on netflix that sounds yep that sounds like a better use of time <laughs> uh welcome guys how are you pretty good pretty good how are you doing buddy i'm doing very well because we have a super special guest tonight um join me uh, everyone listening and you three gentlemen in welcoming ron lundeen uh ron welcome to the show oh, i'm so very glad to be here thank you very much uh paizo developer uh capital p capital d <laughs> and uh also the author of book one of against the iron throne the reach of empire Yep, this was a uh, this was an awful lot of fun to do. I was uh, mm. um, really excited to be digging in and getting sort of the very first look, first uh, adventure in the uh, against the Aeon Throne Adventure Path. Yes, and uh, <laughs> this is now the seventh of these style interviews uh, that we we've done here on the podcast before a little post mortem after we finished the game. But I realized that for you, you probably wrote this about two years ago. So uh, it, it seems very fresh to us and maybe some other uh, players or listeners out there. But um, I understand you're, you're probably moved on to some some other projects at Paizo. I, I gather there's some some other big things happening besides Starfinder. Oh, we do. We do actually have another game. Um, <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's yeah, it's called Pathfinder. You may have heard oh, of it. Yeah, yeah. You, you mean Fantasy <laughs> Starfinder? Yes, it is Fantasy Starfinder. Um, <laughs> let me let me interject just to say um, there was a uh, a fantastic uh, set of demos that we were running. I think last year at Gen Con, we had mm-hmm. somebody some a couple players who sat down to play the playtest version of Pathfinder. And we're looking over the characters, and one of them was looking over the Sioni uh, of the Sorcerer and says, oh, she's like the Technomancer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that's that's the curse of success. Yeah, <laughs> right. Exactly. Of Starfinder, which is pretty hilarious. Um, hey, I'm one of those Starfinder neophytes. <laughs> I, I, I played Starfinder before I ever played Pathfinder. So. Well, so, I mean, as someone that's, uh, I'd like to think I'm kind of plugged into the Starfinder community, at least. I see more new players coming to that game um, than almost any other tabletop role-playing game that I'm like engaged in. And so many of them are coming from other games. Um, I feel like there's a great deal of buy-in from people that are already playing Pathfinder and they're like, oh yeah, space, that sounds great. But um, I'm interested to see it go the other way now uh, with, in a few weeks, uh, the release of Pathfinder 2nd Edition, <laughs> where those also fairly new Starfinder players are going to be like, let me give this Pathfinder a try. <laughs> this Pathfinder 2nd Edition. Absolutely, absolutely. We certainly we certainly hope that's the case. We know that it's been uh, a little bit of a surprise, a very pleasant surprise, to have so many new people who've come into Starfinder. Mm. Um, a lot of younger people, generally. We have our, our Starfinder... Um, players uh, that I've seen sort of anecdotally skew a little bit younger. If you go into oh. a convention or something like that, where you're looking at the tables of Pathfinder players and you're looking at the tables of Starfinder players, it's it's kind of noticeable. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, Paizo now uh, over a decade old of, of publishing Adventure Pass and things like that. You're gonna have uh, you're gonna have some fresh faces in there with these new games for sure. Um, uh, I'd, I'd be interested to 
to be the old guard, the Starfinder old guard in a few <laughs> years. Like, oh, those guys are playing Starfinder, that that ancient game from 2017. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Ron, you are a developer at Paizo. Can you tell us a, a little bit about uh, what exactly you do and what you're working on currently? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So, I work primarily on the Pathfinder Adventure Path line, although I do dabble in some of the other product lines. I've developed some Starfinder organized play scenario, uh, some uh, uh, occasionally uh, uh, other stuff I've, uh, I've worked on, the modules line, things like that. But what I'm doing as a developer is I'm doing sort of the high concept of the product or the entire adventure path in that case. And I'm breaking that up into a uh, robust outline, reaching out to our freelance authors in order mm-hmm. to get the, uh, the adventures written. Uh, that comes back into me. I answer questions throughout the process and sort of, you know, check on progress and milestones and such. But when the product actually comes into me, uh, my job is to go through the whole thing, do sort of a, uh, I want to say sort of a sort of a quality type development pass, sort of a quality type editorial pass. Yeah, not necessarily going through with a fine tooth comb, but making sure that everything is, you know, in its right place and, and fits and... Um, uh, yeah, that's you, you, have, oh, you no. have also people that edit. <laughs> the, that's the right. Work. We do have editors. The editors see it after I do. But what right. I want to do is I want to make I I don't want to go in and change every word, right? I want to make sure mm-hmm. the author's voice really comes out. Uh, a lot of turns of phrase that uh, authors use, some of ideas they have for encounters are just fantastic. I want to keep those, but if they're you know they happen to make a reference to a skill name that isn't right, or if a maybe a different monster would work a little bit better than one they've picked, I can go ahead and make those those changes all the way through. Right. Um, the thing I like to say is that my job as a developer is I will I will increase the quality of the product by one level. So if I get something <laughs> that's that's okay, I, I can make it good. If I get something good, I can make it great. Um, <laughs> so I know our authors work very hard. Um, but what I do is then I pass it over to the editor who do um, all of their magic. Uh, they make mm-hmm. sure that everything is right from a, from the words on the page perspective. It goes from there to layout. Uh, and then it comes back to me to what is actually one of my favorite parts of being a developer, which is sort of the copy fit. That's where I'm seeing the file that's actually how it's going to look on the page. Mm-hmm. And I'm making sure that by this time, I'm seeing the art that I ordered from our artists tied to the language that uh, that I developed. Can I make sure that everything sort of looks really pretty on the page that no, no, you know, there's no, you know, mm-hmm. no, no, it doesn't flow. The text doesn't flow over to a page and have just two lines of text on it and a whole bunch of blank. Um, <laughs> but that's the point at which it kind of becomes real to me, right? I'm seeing what it actually looks like. And that's that's a lot of fun. And then... Uh- you know, I, I don't know if I've made the um, the analogy here on, on this podcast before, but the developer is kind of like the director of a movie where you'll have other people write the script and, you know, play with the characters, but you're like top down making all those kind of final decisions and guiding it the, the entire you know, series of, of adventure paths towards the, uh, I guess <laughs> the publication, the, the finish line. Absolutely. Yeah. We're sort of showrunners in that regard, I guess you could say. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> good and bad with that for sure. Obviously the, the buck stops, uh, and starts with you. Um, if, uh, if people love the adventure path and you're getting, getting a lot of praise as well as the authors and then, 
if you're an unnamed uh, set of producers from a, a fantasy television show that didn't end the way people <laughs> expected, you might have some uh, petitions started online. Yeah, well, that's and that's that's all part of the job. That's actually part of the professionalism of it that mm. uh, that I don't mind doing is if if something in an adventure that I developed is awesome. I am quick to give all the credit to the author. Even if it was something that I added, I only added it because of the ideas the author put into my head about where that story (laughs) might go. So the credit's due to the author. Whereas if if something's terrible, you know, I'm quick to say, you know, hey, I'm taking responsibility for that. You don't like (laughs) it, you don't like it. That's that's the decision that I personally made. So sharpen your uh, pitchforks. As someone who has contributed writing to Paizo, I can, uh, you know, I'm in the unique position. I've seen what I've turned in. I've seen what has been printed and it's almost 100% always the, the final print is going to be a lot better than what I turned in. So yeah. you guys are doing a great job and the, uh, in the office there. Um, yeah, we have, yeah, there's actually quite a few of us. There's uh, I mean, we've got mm-hmm. sort of uh, six or seven developers that are working on across our different product lines. I'm not the only adventure path developer. We switch off. Mm-hmm. Um, James Jacobs is the one that, uh, spearheaded the first second edition Pathfinder Adventure Path Age of Age of Ashes and yes. I'm developing the one after that uh which is called Extinction Curse. Yes, uh I've I know of some of your authors on that uh on those books. I don't know if they're all announced yet, but uh that sounds like it is going to be a lot of fun. I know yep, they uh, some... they, are, they are announced. We announced right. the authors and the titles at PaizoCon. So. I was about to say PaizoCon, a lot of the information came out uh and it looks pretty awesome. Yeah, one of the <laughs> was I mean Eric Mona announced at the uh at the banquet, hey, the next adventure path is gonna be called Extinction Curse, where the adventurers are trying to, you know, basically stop this Zolgath uprising. Oh, and by the way. They're members of a traveling circus and are mm. running a circus in addition to like their adventuring duties. <laughs> and a few days later, I, I saw something on and somebody said, I think Eric Mona was joking. And I wanted to jump in and say, no, no, I'm actually doing that. You know, <laughs> I mean, if you want to take the clown background, then, man, I can hook you up. I don't. I don't want to talk about Pathfinder forever because this is technically a Starfinder podcast, but sure. I can I can tell you that uh, Tyler and I have um, uh, beyond <laughs> the Reach of Empire, we have played one of your Pathfinder first edition adventure paths, uh, and as an author, uh, we've we really enjoyed it. Um, Tyler uh, Ron was also the author of Fangs of War, um, part two of Iron Fang Invasion. Oh, that's very awesome. That was a very fun book. Each each of those um, has been a great deal of fun. It's it's one of those just classic adventures if you're looking for um, a fantasy story to play with your friends, um, a, a war story, and and book two was, was very different. Um, I enjoyed it a great deal. Um, boy. Like I said, we can talk about Pathfinder almost all day long. And second edition, which, um, I mean, by the time people are hearing this, it's knocking on the door. <laughs> I'm, uh, oh, yeah. I'm getting in my pre-orders now for pickup at Gen Con. Oh, um, I'm, je- I'm jealous. Yeah, I'm, I'm so excited to, to get it. And uh, yeah, half of one of those convention days might just be me popping a squat and <laughs> reading through the books. 
um, trying, to, trying to absorb as much of it as you can and yeah, yeah. absolutely give it a try it's uh it's going to be fantastic i mean maybe considering your audience here maybe i'll say it's i mean it's going to be maybe even as good as starfinder well uh, uh, well, 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 well. <laughs> I, uh, uh, in the development process uh, of your guys is getting feedback on the play test um you know one of the things that came out was starfinder and pathfinder second edition kind of you know were being worked on at the same time so a lot of the design kind of choices that have ended up in second edition you know i feel like uh we also beta tested in starfinder but um i just i love for different reasons you know you're you're uh, as the base rules go trying to um emulate different game types and world types and i think they uh, eventually are, are both going to be completely successful as separate universes as separate like you know game systems um i mean yeah, I'm, sure. i say that without uh, having played the final rules of second edition but from what i've played so far it is going to be a lot of fun. yeah and you'll see you'll see if you know starfinder you're going to see a lot of things that we've taken as real good ideas from starfinder the fact that equipment has levels and that gives you a very uh-huh. good sense of sort of how tough it is and when characters ought to be able to have access to it Yep. Um, the fact that archetypes apply sort of to any type of character, mm-hmm. um, they're not locked into a specific class. That's, that's, you know, a lot of things that Starfinder did that really worked. And so there was no reason not to use them and apply them. Yeah. And I'm excited to see that bleed over the other way. If, uh, if people, you know, love certain aspects of second edition, you know, maybe those rules future retroactively come back to Starfinder in in the in future iterations. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, uh, so like I said, we talk about this all day, but these guys I'm sure want to talk to you uh, specifically in a little bit of a, a retrospective sense about the reach of Empire. We just finished the book. Um, we, uh, boy, it took us about 13 or 14 gameplay sessions or episodes of our podcast. And, uh, I mean, first off, it was a heck of amount of fun. <laughs> um, all of against the Island throne. I'm, I was super excited about it as a GM getting into, um, but yeah, I don't, I, don't, I, I haven't talked too much, uh, to the players about what they thought specifically about book one, but I wanted to save it for the podcast. Um, I mean, obviously spoilers for this interview, if you're listening to episode 90 something, but <laughs> right. people uh, who just jump ahead. Yeah. yeah please. <laughs> if, if you're just here for the Ron Lundin interview, uh, don't spoil yourself, but I, 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 we might have to start at the end because, um, uh, two of our episodes, the the boss fight with uh, Lieutenant Sharu, and then immediately after the starship combat with the Barazad were two of the most intense and exciting uh, combats we, we've had on this podcast. Oh, excellent. And to have them back to back as well. Yes. Oh, yeah. That, that wasn't nerve shattering at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, they, they just got done uh, nearly dying to Lieutenant Sharu when I was like, oh, yeah, by the way, you uh, still have this starship combat to deal we, with. We also, the, the, the only reason that we, we walked out of that fight was the luckiest of roles, like yeah. three times in a row. Like yeah. we two back to back natural twenties uh, brought down Lieutenant Sharu. Well, not just the natural twenties, but the uh, critical the, the critical uh, effect card between the two. Crits. Right. Like yeah. The, no. That, the card that brought somebody back up. 
that Paizo product w- paid for itself. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but before we, we talked uh, too much uh, about the the Reach of Empire itself, I did want to ask a little bit about the the development of it hmm. because um, we know we've talked a lot about how you know Dead Sons felt like a like a season of television, whereas you know we're working on a smaller scale with something uh, that's only three parts, and so it's a little bit more like a miniseries. And so I did feel like they had this really great brisk pace. But one thing that I wanted to know when developing this as uh, being separate as the second, you know, full AP or second AP for Starfinder was there was a lot of parts of uh, Dead Sons that kind of uh, shepherded you in a direction. I'm not, I don't want to say it was linear, but it did shepherd you in a certain direction where when we first landed in Madelon's Landing, when we first got there, it it felt like we had a breadth of choices on what we wanted to do next. And I kind of I kind of felt, even though this is a you know a shorter AP, I I felt like the whole world opened up in a way that I hadn't seen so far that I I found really invigorating. And I wanted I wanted to know uh, like you know about the development of what you wanted to do with the Reach of Empire and even I guess the Ion Throne Aeon Throne uh, post Dead Suns. Oh, well, I think we we learned a lot from Dead Sons. I actually had played, I've now played through the entirety of Dead Sons and loved it. I think by the time I wrote this, we were in, I want to say, book three or book four. And so I'd seen a little bit of what, what you were talking about, saying it's very clear where we're sort of supposed to go next. And we, we could go off, sort of off script a little bit. And oh, oh boy, howdy, did we? Um, in some cases... <laughs> But for the most part, it was uh, it was there was such an omnipresent threat in that campaign, right. the Dead Suns campaign, that you you feel like you can't get away from addressing it. And so the thing that was really exciting about this, when I was doing the uh, the Reach of Empire, I'm like, well, for goodness sakes, the thing is called against the Aeon Throne. People are going to know that the Aslanti Star Empire <laughs> sort of are the big bad guys. But the but the players at the moment don't at the very beginning they're they've got they've got this sort of you know huh that's curious moments right where they're okay well we're just making a routine trip and wait there's these these you know ships that are attacking us and we lay wait, wait a minute where communications are all shut off and there's there's something strange going on there well how do how do we want to approach this something strange um one of the things that i really liked being able to do is have the gazetteer in the back of this that sort of all of the area around the the settlement of Madelon's Landing. So if the player's like, we want to go sort of further away, what what is there? It, it didn't leave it mm. didn't leave GMs with sort of a oh I don't know. I mean, no, you know what's there. There's even sort of stuff to do there. Um, oh but, yeah, yeah. We, we've had a whole fun adventure in Delesco. Yes, <laughs> that that was a lot of fun, and because it was referred to, and, and initially I kind of wanted to go that way, but everyone wanted to uh, stay on track, which was was the right call. But that that is definitely something I picked up because. I mean, I I loved Dead Sons. I had I had a blast going through it. But it, it's it's like the difference of experiencing something like First Contact, but then being able to like hang out in Ten Forward. Like it's mm. two different types of the same great thing. Yeah. You know, uh, to, uh, yeah. yeah. To Ron's uh, to Ron's credit, uh, there's a whole section in there which just talks about the the missions that various uh, people in the Freedom Fighters can give you. Mostly, it's Ibretta. Uh, who gives you all these little missions that you can handle in any order that the PCs want to handle it. But one of the things that's um, that makes it so great and made it so fun to play is that I think you did a good job making sure that all the that the whole the wheel 
of worked. And so, you know, it was like after the PCs do one or two things that really disrupt the, the guards and the Islanti presence, then here are some reactionary things the Islanti can do. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I will say for the players, that was probably uh, great and freeing. As a GM, I was like, I got a lot of stuff to prep. They could go anywhere. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and it definitely was because I, it threw us off a little bit at first in a, in a good way because we were kind of – we kind of it's edited out in the show, but we were all kind of quiet for a minute. Like, what, what, do, we, what do we do? Yeah, well, no. Right, yeah, what, right after Meet and I, Bretta, everyone was like, well, I think we should go here. And then, like, everyone wanted to go in a different direction. And it's like, <laughs> and well, that's not everybody. Everybody split up. No, that's not – you know, you're oh, pa- Patrick Patrick tried to get us to split up a number uh, of times. One of these five players was a drone mechanic. They could have split into teams of three and three and been fine. Uh, oh, there you until go. until we came across the water elemental and uh <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but but that was definitely something that I, I, I immediately noticed and that felt it felt like a different flavor. And I thought that was really, really cool because being relatively new to uh, going through Adventure Pass. And because I'm 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 a relatively new tabletop RPG player. Like I was, I never really had a group to play with uh, when I was younger. So this is my first real uh, serious foray into it, uh, outside of doing some homebrew stuff. Um, but what I thought was so cool was, you know, it's it's still that that great Starfinder like outer shell, but it was a different flavor inside, and it it really kind of re-energized me to rethink how I was playing because, you know, after we did, you know, six books with these one, these singular characters and, and making new ones, I was a little unsure of, of what to do. And, and I think having this extra freedom helped me at least develop my player character and which in turn made for a more, more fun campaign. Yeah. If you've got a lot of different things that go on, a lot of different options to take. I mean, obviously some of them are geared a little more towards one class than another, but it also means that your players are going to sort of, sort of glom onto one more than the other. Somebody's going to be just, you know, down, you know, somebody's going to be sort of downright pissed that they're, <laughs> you know, out trying to execute some guy and want to stop him. And other people will be like, oh, I don't care much about that guy, but you know, Hey, let's get back over to the, uh, this, this leader's house, you know, I want to break into his computer. So mm-hmm. we have a lot of people who care about a lot of different things. Ultimately, it all lands you in, hey, we've got enough support. We can sort of make our final push, final attack. And then all the different threads kind of come to, they all lead to the same place once you've worked through them. But working through them is something that you can have a lot of different people like a lot of different things. Yeah. Part two of, uh, of the adventure, um, the, uh, is like the vast majority of the book is, is, you know, all the different missions and things that you guys uh, went on throughout um, uh, Madelon's landing. Did you say, uh, how did you pronounce it? Oh, I said, I've said it's Madelon in my head. Um, Well, you you wrote it. So that's the correct way to say it. (laughs) Uh, I I, now. Okay. True. (laughs) But I think I think that the name of it was already picked. I think that was in the. Oh, okay. Yeah. So maybe the name was written down, but the pronunciation of. uh... (laughs) Oh, uh, yeah. No, some some uh, pronunciations I have heard very interesting takes on (laughs) for for Dead Sons, especially. (laughs) But um, uh, you're going to deal with that when you have uh, alien places and, and peoples. I, I did feel like, especially compared to uh, Insta Absalom Station, which I, I felt kind of eased 
us into the game and it was the first starfinder uh adventure so i, I kind of get that but this one i've i feel uh, as far as difficulty goes it, <laughs> it didn't play around <laughs> at oh, all yeah. well, i mean there's because you can take stuff at your own pace you know you you can make it very difficult. Yeah. I, I was I was ill prepared for that. <laughs> yeah, if you if you think that we're just going to be able to, you know, oh, there's there's eight different things to do. Let's just go do all eight of them all right in a row. You're <laughs> going by by thing number four. You're going to be in way over your head. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'll yeah. Take fast. a breather. <laughs> I learned that real yeah. fast. Yep. But I did start, you mentioned sort of throwing you into the middle of things here with this. This this opens up, the adventure itself opens up. And I know when you guys played it, I heard the first uh, couple sessions and I thought it was fantastic that you guys did sort of a, a flashback thing mm-hmm. um, when, you, when you started this. That was uh, a great way to get all the players connected um, to uh, Sedona the Android. Right. Um, and then when you actually get to the, uh, the, first, the first actual event in the, um, in the adventure, is the uh, drone attack. So you're like, okay, we're going to play this game, and now we're going right into starship combat. Uh, <laughs> and then you you end with a much bigger, more threatening starship combat. So I kind of bracketed <laughs> yeah. it with uh, oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. space fights. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, one of the players rolled a natural... Uh, Drew, you rolled a natural 20 on attacking one of those drones. It and, was and the first attack it. of the drone. <laughs> like yeah, the first fir- attack of the campaign. Your first attack of, of the campaign. Uh, and how easy those drones were compared to how difficult that Barazad fight oh, was. Man. The tier two yeah. bears. I, I think the drones were like uh, CR... 0.5, you know, like one half, something fairly simple. And then the Barazad was uh, an equal tier to the um, to your guys' starship, which is a, a pretty epic fight, you know? Yeah, and it could it could sort of go either way, even being sort of told through the through the adventure, hey, hey, GM, this is this is a place to make sure your players have upgraded their ship. For goodness sakes, do not forget to let them upgrade their ship. I knew yeah. what was coming. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there but there is a uh, one of the things to keep in mind as well that I did to adjust that difficulty is how prepared you are to hurry yeah. back in order to fight it. Yes. Yeah. These guys had the the hover trikes, um, so they were they were ready for it. But uh, it's one thing we didn't talk about is it didn't come up. But if you didn't and you were late getting back um, to to your ship, um, like they already start like attacking Madelon's landing, and like um, uh, you, you get some um, some negatives starting that starship combat. Um, yeah. I, I think the ship your ship can take damage as well. Uh, right. right, you've got you start out with some hull damage because they just fired down on your ship from from when they made their sweeping attack. <laughs> Can and you then match. <laughs> I can't. I'm, I'm so glad we. Didn't. Oh, we we would have we would have lost. Like yeah, that I, damage would have taken. Us my my away. my bear would have resigned himself and just gone to the woods. <laughs> <laughs> Never to come back. What exactly? Oh, wait. does it matter? I, I, yeah. I, I, how much I am a hobgar now. Yeah, yeah. just I'm a go, go native. How much RP did we all have at the beginning of that fight versus or at the beginning of the space combat, just in case we needed it? Just, uh, uh, I had none gone. because I wasted like zero. all uh, yeah. with the the whole barracks because of the uh, the electrovores. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. You're talking about the royal venture. Yeah, the royal venture. I used up all of my uh, <laughs> RP. So yeah, well, I, I and. And the Lieutenant Sharu fight, and then going straight into that, um, uh, we're doing XP 
uh, leveling and they had gotten enough XP with the Lieutenant Shara fight to get to level three. So there were level three um, PCs and a tier two ship, which helped a little bit, but they were also out of RP. <laughs> I think a couple of people had like, uh, you know, 10 hit points to their name. So it was a, it was a tense fight because I told them flat out at the beginning. It's like, well, you have the option of like crashing down to the planet or getting boarded by and fighting more as Lanty on, on your ship. If you get disabled, your, your starship goes down and, um, yep. yeah. Uh, spoiler warning. They ended starship combat. They, uh, got some, some major hits at the very end of the battle with the Barazad. Um, they ended it adjacent to the bear's head so oh my goodness it's yeah it's we didn't know yeah. we, we did not know we, we don't have a science yeah. officer right now well <laughs> i mean so my character doubles as the mechanic and the science officer and at the very beginning of the combat we went do we need to scan this ship nah we kind of know what this is <laughs> we learned an important lesson Yes. Yeah, we, yeah, we learned a very something. important lesson. Should, yeah, and, should uh, make that, that DC 10 roll or whatever it is. Yeah. Which is like an automatic success at this point for me. Yeah. I, 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 my character nearly did not walk away from that. Uh... Oh, which brings up a great, because uh, I think one of the things that caused us to uh, have conniptions was those quantum torpedoes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ron, I don't know if you were responsible for the development of those. <laughs> Wait uh, on the uh, the bear is that? Oh yeah! Oh, that was me. Uh, yeah, they're the. So they're I the remember uh, there's a great moment uh, where Patrick, you know, Patrick you know, rolls the dice and he goes, "All right, so the torpedo uh, misses you." And we're all like, "Oh, good," because we barely had any shields and we already we just had taken a critical threshold, so you know we were could not take another hit. Uh, and Patrick's like, "And the torpedo just turns around and comes yep. back at you." Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, but we had, we had to edit some words out of out of our reactions to that. that. I was really <laughs> was I was. I was really bummed in the beginning of that combat and you can hear it in the episode because I kept hitting with the torpedoes and I wanted to miss at least one to get that moment in. You show like, the, the I just, quantum, yep. Yeah, I kept rolling rocks for the torpedoes, like 18s and 19s. I was like, all right, well, I guess they're just really uh, crack shots. Um, <laughs> we, we could talk about Reach of Empire all night, but uh, we should probably uh, wrap things up by going around and maybe talking about if you guys have a favorite moment or character from the book. Um, I, I know <laughs> it, it, it's been a long playthrough. Uh, you know, we've taken our time. We, we've, we've made some NPC friends here and then things like that. Uh, I mean, for me, I just, I love the Royal Venture top to bottom. Uh, <laughs> I thought it was uh, uh, a great little, you know, sci-fi dungeon. This, this crashed uh, spaceship. Yeah. Um, let me, let me, let me, yeah, th- thank you. I actually mm-hmm. had a lot of fun designing that. And here's one of the things that I find most interesting about designing a spaceship as an encounter area mm-hmm. is that, is that spaceships need to be functional. People need to be able to get around very easily from one part to another. But if if I'm writing a dungeon, I want to at least control how people are going through it. So exactly. what did I what did I do at the Royal Venture? I just made a big smash right through the middle part of it, so you kind of have to go around. Yeah, and it, it 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 looks great on the map. It's it's actually oh, one of my I, favorite I single map. maps uh, that's yep. been put out in Starfinder so far. Um, and I think it's it's one that you know also if you're just running a home game <laughs> uh, and, and need something similar, it works great. It's got you know the engine in the back, and then there's like these twisty corridors from the destroyed 
you know, sections of the ship that kind of, um, until you get to the end, it's, you know, there's not a ton of choices that people can go through. But at the end there, to get to the bridge, um, as the players decided, they went through all three doors leading to the bridge. <laughs> oh, just go yeah. one after the other after the yeah. other. All right, well, I mean, no yeah. reason not to go straight up yeah. the line, I suppose. It went to uh, uh, three teams of two. Mm-hmm. Well, it was it was kind of wise because... Um, uh, they they bum rushed Lieutenant Sharu, and she wasn't able to get off her um, uh, automatic fire rifle on on anyone. So oh, good. Yeah, good. we paid the price by having uh, our tank <laughs> she got and, the sword damage. Yeah. Our tank and our main damage dealer go down almost immediately. But <laughs> oh my, oh my. Yeah, vanguards aren't supposed to last more than two rounds, right? Two or three. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, I was busy defending uh, one of our other characters because he's a drone mechanic, but he 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 has nothing. <laughs> uh, yeah, my, my my Osharin has I think uh, four hit points, and that's about it. Uh, and I actually, it, it was I mean the fight lent such a great tension, and I think part of that is also just because again uh, I'll praise the the map design here. Uh, the bridge was I mean just everything from like how we came into the bridge and where uh you know how uh, lieutenant sharu was you know behind the captain's chair and she kind of had cover from that and uh was you know giving orders to to her lackeys to do this and that and uh you know my drone my drone was destroyed in that fight and then i just had to drag its body back to the uh to our ship so we could go fight the the barazad and then we ended up having to go through a crash landing anyway uh-huh. so yeah we- it, it was definitely one of the most uh nail-biting but also rewarding and fun boss fights i think i've played so far in starfinder yeah i was about to say if we all were picking our favorite moments then <laughs> the end of that boss fight and the, the starship combat might be on there um but did you guys have other favorite elements uh of, of the ap some fond memories uh, weldus weldus is a fun cat <laughs> Yeah, well, does Arquin, who's, uh, you know, not super, ma- like, he's not like a major plot character, but uh, everyone fell in love with him. He's like one of those NPCs yeah. that's just in the corner. And- we, we we glom on to certain NPCs, no matter what. Um- <laughs> I played a, a teenager. They're like, what? That's crazy. Um, I, I really enjoyed some of the, sne- especially some of the sneaking around when we first got there. You know, we're, we're popping over to mm-hmm. the... the the mayor's house. mayor's house and yep. to that little uh electric tower and everything like it was just it was really really fun before we kind of got into the nitty-gritty it just it was that little kind of foreplay into getting to know this ap and i think that's what when i was reflecting on my questions earlier is i found that to be so invigorating as a player so outside of the the boss fight, I think that that initial kind of sneaking around and kind of uh, dipping our toes into to what this adventure was mm-hmm. was extremely rewarding for me. Yeah, uh, um, I think I think my favorite thing uh, is that the Aslanti are bad dudes. They're bad people, and. And I, I would be interested to hear your thoughts on, you know, you're writing a scenario where they've taken over everything and, you know, this settlement obviously didn't want to be taken over and you put in elements where obviously people tried to resist and you get to see glimmers or uh, of Aslanti brutality. Uh, and so the person who kind of comes to mind uh, when I think about that are two people really is uh, Jellic Folson and uh, Corsica Arquin. Uh, those are the two mm. people who you really get to see uh, the Aslanti kind of show their 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 brutalness. Um, 
but I wonder like how hard it how hard was it to write uh, kind of a situation like that where the Atlanti are in full control they're evil you know for the most part they're pretty evil people and uh, you know you kind of want to show off that side to really give the PCs motivation to go against to go against them well they they it was it was actually it was hard but for not not in the way that you might expect um, I wanted to make sure that these were basically space Nazis right and you should not right. you should not ever feel bad about punching a space Nazi. Right. And, oh, that's <laughs> the worst kind of Nazi, honestly. Right. They, they've, <laughs> exactly. They've beat what us I, in the space race. They gotta what, go what, down. What I have a what I have a tendency to do in my writing, and this is in in most of my adventures, frankly, except this one, there's almost always some sympathetic villains where you're gonna be, oh, I kinda understand where you're coming from and I feel a little bad about punching you. And maybe we <laughs> should maybe we should kind of work this out, right? Or and I want to, even though I I understand, you know, we got we got games about fighting. Every now and again, I want people to think, huh, you know, this is maybe this person is not necessarily a villain for entirely monolithic evil, but maybe we can kind of work with this villain. I had to take out so much of that impulse in this adventure <laughs> because oh, the yeah. last the last thing I wanted was for somebody to have like a sympathetic <laughs> Aslanti cadet and go, well, maybe we should be kinder to the other Aslanti cadets. No, just <laughs> no. So what I had to do was make sure I was building in things where, and they, they beat up a woman who doesn't like bullies and stood up and totally got beat up and they're executing a guy who was like literally the first friendly face you've met on the planet. <laughs> yeah. And so I you know no it's just it just keeps being increasingly just bad bad bad. And the one person that you might expect to have some sympathy with there's a there's a the guy who's taken over the Atlante armor and he's standing around in the storehouse is actually a townsperson, right? So the one person <laughs> yeah. you're like, "Hey, hey, here's somebody we can talk to." He's like, Shh, "I'm not one of them." Um, so oh. no, they're all making them all bad. Was uh, uh, I, we, we lucked out because we, we we were able to sneak in and get the drop on him, and we were gonna all just bum rush him and attack him. And I I decided to in, intimidate him with a little bear roar, and and he just kind of like immediately gave up because we would have killed him. All right. <laughs> yep. yeah. <laughs> Killed the then, old man. Hey, hey, where's our supply clerk? Never you mind. Never you mind. Uh, <laughs> there are a lot of casualties. Uh, yeah, Those darn is Lanty. But there's a whole storeroom here full of stuff that we can just take. <laughs> oh, oh, boy. Also, please don't talk as Lanty to me. That, <laughs> yep. that was, I actually made sure I was, I didn't. I had the outline for the next two adventures, but I didn't have a lot of specific details about them other than being pretty sure that speaking Aslanti is going to be pretty important when you're going into the Aslanti. So I actually made sure to throw in, there's a sidebar early on, sort of, um, hey, the PC should really should pick up this language pretty quick, and all it takes is a single rank in culture. And and listen to some cassette tapes and and doing some some workbook uh, exercises. I'm pretty sure we I, all started with it. I want to say uh, like, no. There there were a few people who didn't, but I think four four of us did. Yeah, I definitely. Uh, did. An, another great way that I think you you know reinforced like don't feel bad about hitting these people was the weaponry you chose for some of the higher ups, mainly the tack lashes, because I think a tack lash, a whip. Uh, just in the hands of you know evil people is just so iconically like oh yeah we just don't like you immediately and also just the artwork. Uh, the all the Aslanti uh, armor and all the Aslanti artwork that was done. I'm thinking about like Olaraha. I'm thinking Sharu uh, was just was just great. It just I think it further emphasized how just 
you know, straight up bad these people were. Yep. This is this is exactly one of those points where the developer just sort of nods and says, "Yes, that author's had a great idea." But I will admit, <laughs> I don't. I don't think I gave them tack lashes. I think Jason Keeley, my developer, thought, "You know what's going to make them even worse looking? Whips. Whips <laughs> is going to make them look even worse." <laughs> yeah. No. No one likes Indiana Jones. That that uh, <laughs> showbaiten archaeologist thief. Um. No, but the, the tack lashes, especially when employed in stringing people up in the town square for execution, yep. it's pretty intense. Um, well, once again, uh, we can and <laughs> we would talk about this AP and the ones that come all night long. Um, but we've got to wrap it up here. Um, we had a great time talking about this. We had an even better time playing it over the last couple of months. Uh Thank you, Ron, for for showing up to to answer our questions. No, yeah, fantastic. Thank you. thank you, thank you so much for having me. I will uh, look around. I will look forward to uh, coming back around when you get to either the first of either uh, number four of Dawn mm. of Flame, which I wrote, or number six of Attack of the Swarm, which I also wrote. So, oh, has that been announced as well? <laughs> oh, I think so. Oh, okay, I don't know. That, I don't know that the names have. I know the AP has. Yes, uh, but, it's. Uh, uh, it's not yet on the website, but I am okay, sh- very oh, oh, <laughs> excited about book six as well, uh, because there's a, a spoiler warning as well. I wrote book one for that AP, and there's a lot of interplay between mine and uh, Ron's book, uh, book six. Oh, yeah. Can't, yeah, can't I needed to get. Yeah, much. okay. I won't get into more detail. Let's just say mm-hmm. that I was pestering Jason for some of your maps to revisit them in like a creepy and awful way later mm-hmm. on, and that was and that's, oh, and that's no. awesome. Oh, that's, this is, this uh, is uh, Ron. If uh, if people were looking for you online, or if they wanted to send you some some questions or comments, uh, where might people find you? Ah, oh, well, if you want to get a hold of me, I mean, officially, I am ron.lundine at paizo.com. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do want to say that I very actively blog about sort of designing adventures, what goes into sort of creating narratives through my third-party publishing company, which is called Run Amuck Games. Mm-hmm. And uh, runamuckgames.com uh, has a uh, blog part. And every couple times a week, I'll go into some sometimes some exceptionally detailed minutiae other times very big picture things about being a uh, an rpg writer i i mean <laughs> as someone that is uh, uh very interested in game design myself uh i very much enjoy your blog posts uh whenever um we can get some like behind the scenes info on um uh, like you had one um up about um oh gosh like final uh edits or, or final scripts um that turned into developers like yourself and like do's and don'ts uh, would have been very helpful for me before I turned my <laughs> script in last year. But uh, man, would have uh, been helpful. Would have been helppful for me. I mean, I, I, I you know this is a thing I'm still learning as I go. Yeah, but it, it's super useful and it, it's just interesting reads if you're if you're fans of uh, Pathfinder, Starfinder, any tabletop role playing game. Um, and if you're you're looking uh, for some some Q and A about this this AP, that I will direct you to the Paizo forums as well. Uh, I found it very useful in as a GM getting into it there. Um, all the the other people that have played it have kind of like added in, uh, and a lot of people have played it. Uh, it's a very popular AP. Uh, added in their notes and things to to the forums. 
Uh, that's going to do it, guys. Um, Drew, Tyler, uh, Miles, thanks so much as well for being here. Oh, oh it was a pleasure. Oh, pleasure was all the mine. We will we'll sign it off. Thanks again, Ron. Thanks for everyone for listening. Have a great week, and we'll see you on the next episode.